the superheroine movie Black Widow is finally coming to cinemas. Director Kate Shortland gives us a fascinating insight in our exclusive interview today. In this film, we wanted to look at the roles we play and to strip that away, whether it's like a femme fatale or a superhero or a daughter or a mother. We were looking at all of these roles and breaking them down so that really what we're looking at is the person inside the role without gender, without any preconceived ideas. I also chat to critic Wendy Mitchell about the most exciting films showing at this year's Cannes Film Festival. Fasten your seatbelts. It's going to be a bumpy night. I'm going to get that gun of mine and I'm going to change you from a rooster to a hen with one shot. Some people call me a freak. I hate that word. I don't believe in it. Better yet, I don't believe in labels. You know, I think you're the only girl in the world that can stand on a stage with a spotlight in her eye and still see a diamond inside a man's pocket. Because I'm up at five every morning working my ass off. Does someone want to just tell me to my face you're never going to give me the scores I deserve? Hello, I'm your host, Anna Smith. And as well as being can day, it's also sidecar day, an international celebration of the classic cocktail. Cheers. This episode is in partnership with the purveyors of its vital ingredient, French cognac house Rémy Martin. We're celebrating by raising a glass to sidecars in the movies. Sidecars have graced the silver screen ever since the silent age. In Our Modern Maidens, which is a 1929 silent film starring a young Joan Crawford, a sidecar is the drink of choice for a cast of flapperish femme fatales. Next up, The Bonfire of the Vanities, a 1990 satire from Brian De Palma, which stars Bruce Willis as Jenna Peter Fellow and Alan King as big shot Arthur Ruskin. He says... I'm not supposed to drink, but I love a sidecar. In the 1965 rom-com That Funny Feeling, Sandra Dee's roommate pours the cognac and Cointreau combo over a roast duck and sets it alight with a cigarette. An unusual twist, but hey, it was the 60s. We've also seen the sidecar on the small screen, from The Man in the High Castle to Mad Men. If you've spotted someone sipping a sidecar on screen, then let us know on social media. Meantime, I will continue with my own here. My first guest is Girls on Film regular Wendy Mitchell, who's trod the can croisette many times. Wendy Mitchell, welcome back to Girls on Film. Thank you, Anna. It's so good to be back, and especially at this amazing time of year when we're about to head to Cannes. Very exciting. Well, we're recording this just before Cannes starts, and hopefully we will both be there as the audience is listening to this show. So it starts today. How many Cannes have you done, Wendy? I was trying to think about this. I think I've done about... 14, maybe 14 or 15. Yeah, basically ever since I moved to the UK, which is about 16 years ago and started working at Screen International, I would go every year with Screen. And there was one year I was back in New York, but I I had to come back to Cannes. You know, I know there's some people out there who've been going 40 or 50 years and my hat's off to them. But yeah, I'm very privileged to have been that many times. Yes, I've been, this will be my 10th time and I also feel privileged and it is an amazing, amazing thing to do. Of course, briefly, we better say that it will be a bit different this year. Obviously, there's a lot of paperwork, there's a lot of COVID-related safety protocols. How else do you think it's going to be different this year? Oh, goodness. You know, I, well, I think for an eight-day trip, I've already got seven COVID tests booked. So yeah, there's some hurdles to jump through, but that also makes me think people who are there really want to be there. You know, it'll be great to see some industry friends I haven't seen since Berlin 2019. 
Berlin 2020, I guess. And so, yeah, it won't be the sort of maybe totally glamorous parties that we're used to in Cannes, but I quite like that. Um, and I've, you know, they've said there's going to be a red carpet, so we're going to have some glamour. I think we'll see ladies, ladies in gowns, and I think it'll still feel enough like Cannes usually is that it'll make it all worthwhile. And of course, the films will make that all worthwhile, all the hoops we have to jump through to get there. Well, the films is what we really want to talk about today. And there is some fantastic female work, both in and out of the main competition. Wendy, let's start with what you're really looking forward to. Um, Andrea Arnold's Cal. Tell me why you're excited about this. Well, I, I love Andrea Arnold. She's one of my favourite filmmakers. I think she always takes some risks. I mean, American Honey, when that was in Cannes, that just blew me away. This is something totally different we've never seen from Andrea Arnold, which is a documentary. We can call it like a bovine boyhood. It is, I think, about six or seven years in the life of a cow. Literally, that's what it is. I don't think there's any humans in the film. It's following a cow for cow through their life cycle for seven years. And I just think it sounds really special. I happen to like animal films and cows, but I think it could be quite poetic. And I just, you know, nobody has seen one minute of footage of this film. It's very much top secret. They've only released sort of one photo from it and it's just a picture of the cow. So we don't <laughs> know what to expect. And I love that about Cam, that you're going into the room. Nobody's seen it except for the programmers and Andrea and we get to all experience it together for the first time. And I, I just love that excitement to see something exciting in cinema unfolding. And you're there for it. You're witnessing history. I love that. Yeah, I get butterflies already just thinking about that experience of going into the Palais and watching a film that, you know, I mean, obviously Portrait of a Lady on Fire is one that I always remember deeply, but something that, that could be a future classic. And you just sit there, wow, wow, wow. And I think this one sounds extraordinary. If it's been selected for Cannes, it must be pretty good. Um, now talk to me about your next choice, which is Clio Barnard's Alien Ava. Clio Barnard, I think, is one of England's finest filmmakers. She's made some really interesting work in the past. Ali and Ava, I think from what I hear is going to be even her most sort of accessible film and not saying that in a dirty way. I think it'll be, you know, not necessarily crowd pleasing in some senses, like it's a blockbuster, but I think it's really going to be an audience friendly film. It's a love story between people we don't normally see falling in love on screen. It's Adil Akhtar and Claire Rushbrook playing some sort of mismatched middle-aged lovers in Bradford. And I hear the film has great music in it. It just sounds really special. And the way she made the film is she's been working with the community in Bradford where she met them for the Arbor. She worked around there for Selfish Giant and she met people who then inspired these characters and like really worked closely with real people to bring a love story to life that we haven't seen before. And I'm a sucker for a love story. And it yeah, it just sounds like the kind of film we all need right now. A little bit of hopeful, a little bit of love from unexpected places. Oh, oh God, I don't want to go home. Oh, I like being here with you. Plus, uh, it's not safe for me to drive because I've had a... What? Uh, well, that's a universal <laughs> sign for drink. I've uh, had a drink. But, yeah, you have only had one, then. Yeah, but... Take a good look at me. <laughs> My constitution, I'm not used to it. So, oh. so. Is that why you've had a drink? Plus, 
Can't get a taxi here for love no money, so... I could get you a local taxi. Yeah, yeah. Very easily. I want to stay. Clyde Barnard doing Hopeful, that sounds like a wonderful combination. And that cast, as you say, I loved Claire Rushbrook in Secrets and Lies way back when, the Mike Lee film. And then Adil Akhtar in Utopia. I always think of him as Wilson Wilson. I don't know if you watched Utopia, but he was so great in that and many other things. So good choice, Ali and Ava. Now, on to Mothering Sunday. This looks like a big Brit hit, potentially. Yeah. Um, but I also love that it could be a big Brit hit, but with a French twist, because we have the French director, Ava Husson, taking on this story, which is obviously adapted from the Graham Swift novel. It's been, the screenplay is adapted by Alice Birch, who wrote Lady Macbeth, which was one of my absolute favorites of recent British film. You've got Josh O'Connor in the cast. You know, I think it's just, to me, screams BAFTA, prestigious, great producer, Liz Carlson, uh, Elizabeth Carlson from Number Nine Films, who's got, you know, an amazing track record. It's Josh O'Connor with Odessa Young. So this is Ava Husson, the French filmmaker. It's her first film that she shot in the UK. And I always think that's interesting when we get that slightly fresh take on the UK. So not a typical stuffy period drama, but it's a sort of doomed romance story. And I'm a sucker for those kind of things. Are you suggesting we get married? Well, I was suggesting that we live together. So yes, I suppose I was suggesting that we get married. I mean, I would like to marry you. I, I, I mean, that would make me very happy indeed. What, what do you think? All right then. I can't wait to see this one. Yeah, I think that could also be quite audience friendly and awardsy, maybe? Yes, it sounds very awardsy to me. Very much looking forward to that one. And there's some kind of edgier stuff in Cannes always, which is always fun to see. So kind of more shocking stuff. I've watched the trailer for Titaine, um, Julia de Cournot. That looks extraordinary. Uh, well, have you seen any more about that? Nobody has, Anna. I watched the trailer like you and you, you said extraordinary. I would say bonkers. That trailer <laughs> look, just like knocked me off my seat. So I encourage people to see the trailer I mean the thing is they haven't told us much about this film you know we don't really know the plot so much um, they're kind of keeping it under wraps until it premieres and can but that trailer was absolutely thrilling and obviously she made the film Raw which was um, such an important moment in Cannes history I think people were blown away by that this one looks like especially from the trailer it's even of a bigger scale bigger ambition I can't wait to see what it is. Who knows what it could be like, but that trailer is exciting. It looks high octane, sexy, violent, crazy, um, provocative. Yeah, yeah. So yeah, to 10, one to look out for. Before I come up to some that I'm also curious about, what else, could you like to sum up what else you're excited about, Wendy? Yeah, I just wanted to mention another few in, because you, in Cannes you have the main competition and then the official selection also includes Uncertain Regard. And then you have these sidebar sections like Director's Fortnight and Critics Week, where sometimes you get 
younger filmmakers with their debuts or maybe just really interesting work. And I, always something cool emerges from these sections. So one I'm really looking forward to in Director's Fortnight is a Kosovan film. I know nothing about Kosovo. Uh, it's called The Hill Where Lionesses Roar. And it's about teenage girls who start a sort of heist gang in small town Kosovo. It is the directorial debut from the actress Luana Bajrami, who, Anna, you will remember as the maid in Portrait of a Lady on Fire. She's mostly an actress. It's her first feature film as a director. She shot this film when she was only 18. So this is going to have some kind of crazy youthful energy. I actually was um, attending Les Arc, oh gosh, a year or so ago, and um, they let us see a clip. And it looks just really fresh and fun. And how exciting to see a female talent making a film at only age 18. I can't even imagine. Also in Fortnite, I'm really excited. There's a, it's a Swedish Costa Rican film. We don't hear that often called Clara Sola. It's a Swedish Costa Rican filmmaker named Natalie Alvarez Messin. And it's about a woman who's in Costa Rica who is a sort of a local healer. And she has a sexual awakening at age 40. And I think it's going to have some elements of magical realism. I think it's going to look amazing on a big screen. I'm, I'm really excited for that one. And, you know, maybe just to mention in another person, director, sort of shifting boundaries and territories, which I always think is exciting, is Teodora Anna Mihai. It's a Romanian director. She lives in Belgium and she's made her debut feature in Mexico. I think it's going to be really special. It's, I think, got people like Costa Rica and the Dardenne brothers producing it or exec producing it and Michelle Franco co-producing it. And it's about a really ordinary housewife who becomes almost a vigilante when her daughter disappears due to connections with drug cartels. So I always think it's interesting, these people maybe going outside of your home territory and finding a fresh look at some other part of the world. So there's, you know, there's lots more, you know, great films directed by women throughout the selection. I think it's a pretty good year for female directors. Um, but yeah, those are some of the, the ones I'm excited about from the female directors especially. What about you? Well, I would agree with all those and some of those I hadn't even spotted on the list yet, so I'm definitely going to be marking them onto my schedule. But I am curious at ones that I think I may be not going to like but have a strong reaction to. And one of those is Benedetta. So this is director Paul Verhoeven's uh, lesbian nun thriller starring Virginie Efferer as a 17th century novice who has a steamy affair that shakes up the convent. And the trailer also indicates a kind of horror element, which I'm a bit nervous of. And also I'm generally, you know, wondering how Paul Verhoeven's going to go this time after obviously Showgirls and Basic Instinct and then Elle, which I wasn't that keen on despite a fantastic central performance. How, how, what, what are your expectations of this one? Yeah, I'm probably with you. I, I get a little nervous when I see his name sometimes because, yeah, he has done some less than classy films and you hear lesbian nuns. What is this going to be? But 
you know, L, I don't think was, yeah, for me, maybe not a masterpiece that some people claimed it was, but I thought it was interesting filmmaking and it was a bit classier thanks to Isabel Huppert. So yeah, I'm, I'm curious. <laughs> I don't know if it's the, at the top of my list to see, but like you said, it can, sometimes you want to see those films that aren't just going to be like, oh, that was nice. You want to see those films that are going to be like, what did I just watch? That was a disaster. You got to see at least one of those. I mean, I remember seeing Da Vinci Code. Uh, in Cannes and just like why is this in Cannes because they wanted to build a fake pyramid on the beach that's why you know but yeah you can see some things that you're just thinking what was going on here on that kind of slightly shocking um racy point but I think one that might be really good actually is the the new film from Sean Baker who gave us the Florida Project fantastic director and Red Rocket actually stars a former porn actor Simon Rex as a washed up adult movie star but I have a feeling that Sean Baker is going to bring this kind of very indie sensibility to that um so I am looking forward to that one yeah I think Sean Baker you know what he did with first with Tangerine, you know, taking some non-professional actors at that point and sex workers and telling a really compelling story. And then, you know, what he did with Florida Project was just amazing. And yeah, I think he's a very exciting filmmaker. And I think it's a real seal of approval from Cannes that he goes into the main selection now. You could have argued that Florida Project should have been in that main selection. But yeah, it's a seal of approval that he's now one of the world's Best filmmakers. And I think he's got a real handle on representation and you know, representing people who are not seen on film enough. So that's why I'm interested to see that one. Now, fun stuff. We've touched on parties or lack of parties. But you know, Wendy, there's still going to be something going on which you and I both love, and that is the Palm Dog. Anna, thank goodness the indefatigable Toby Rose will not be stopped by a pandemic. The Palm Dog will be awarded the final Friday in Cannes. But, you know, who could be in contention? Because I've been wondering already. I mean, we've got a cow. I know that Clara Sola has a horse. What films are going to have dogs? You know, I hope Toby's on the case. I hope he is. And my money is on, well, at the moment, obviously I'm a jury member like yourself, so I don't want to give too much away. But given that The Souvenir had dogs in it, I'm thinking The Souvenir Part 2 from Joanna Hogg may have some more Tilda Swinton with big dogs action. And that's quite a potent combination, I think. Oh, I love Tilda Swinton with a big dog. I mean, yeah, but yeah, we, we will, the jury remains open-minded. We are looking forward to discovering the dog, the canine performances we don't even know about yet. There will be many. There always are many. And that is one of the joys of Cannes for me, is looking out for the dogs as well as reviewing the great films. So I can't wait to do that. Now, coming up next, we've got Kate Shortland, who's going to talk to us about Black Widow, which I've seen and is really terrific big screen entertainment with fantastic sisterhood females at the centre. Wendy, are you excited about this one? Actually, I am. And I don't normally say that. I'm not a big Marvel person. I don't think I've ever seen an entire Marvel film. I know that they're great entertainment. I know they're well-made. I just doesn't usually float my boat. But Black Widow does float my boat. This is one I'm definitely wanting to see on the big screen. You know, no distractions. This is a perfect moment to return to the cinemas for everybody. Scarlett Johansson, Florence Pugh, you know, who I mentioned I loved back in Lady Macbeth. And let's see her take on a bit more action role. I definitely, you know, I've been reading some great reviews, people saying, you know, it's sort of giving fresh energy to the franchise. And yeah, it sounds like a girl power Marvel film. And I will definitely see this one 
And I'm looking forward to it. I would recommend it. I mean, it's long, but it is great fun. And I think you can sort of feel the female energy behind the camera because it is very much about family. It's about character. It's about sisterhood. And it's about the relationship between two young women. And Florence and Scarlett are just so good together. And Florence brings that kind of slightly edgy humour to the table as well. So it's quite funny. But yeah, I think it's a, it's a step forward for women and superheroes. So yay. Wendy, anything else that you're up to that we should know about? Or is it all about Cannes for you right now? It's all about Cannes. And I do have to mention one other film, not directed by a woman, but it is The Innocence by Eskil Bokt. And he is a Norwegian filmmaker. He made a slightly smaller film that went to Sundance called Blind a few years ago. This film, I was actually lucky enough to go visit them shooting in Oslo two years ago. And it is about these kids on a housing estate that discover they have special powers This is not a film for kids, very much not. But I think we're going to see some of the finest child acting we've ever seen from this film. I think he's a very special, very visual filmmaker as well. Just really interesting themes. You know, it plays with horror genre. So, yeah, that's another one I'm really excited about. And especially if you want to see some creepy kids. Well, no, nice kids playing creepy. (laughs) I think the innocence might tick that box. For people. And yeah, maybe I'll just mention also that usually in Cannes, as you know, Anna, you've spoken there many times, we have this great tent, a UK pavilion from the We Are UK film group. Well, because of the pandemic, we don't actually have the physical tent this year, but I've been helping them with some talks that are going to be online at weareukfilm.com for free during Cannes. And they're free for anybody. You don't have to be in Cannes or registered for Cannes. And, you know, we got to talk to some filmmakers like Ava Hussam. And Mark Cousins and, yeah, some topical subjects about how to break into the industry and build your network and things like that. But some of your listeners might be interested in some of that. So, yeah, that's been interesting, too, to still not giving up on that. There's talks that we normally have in Cannes. We can still have those remotely. So people can get them online. Where, where do they go? They should all be launched at weareukfilm.com. The schedule is there. We're launching different ones every day. Yeah, some fun chats. Well, last time Girls on Film actually went on stage in that very tent um, and with your assistance and great leadership. And we had a lovely little party afterwards uh, sponsored by Remy Martin. And by coincidence, this episode is in partnership with Remy Martin. So I'm going to have a virtual glass clink with you right now, Wendy. <laughs> I Cheers. remember hosting <laughs> you on that, that day in Cannes, I guess it was two years ago. Yes, it was. Yeah, yeah, so thank you, Remy, and cheers. And I'll have another glass with you very soon, possibly in Cam. Fingers crossed we get there and everybody stays safe and enjoys these amazing films. What a lineup. Exactly. Have a great Cannes, everyone, whether you're there or watching from afar. And Wendy, thank you so much for joining us. Thanks for having me back. See you in Cannes. That was Wendy Mitchell. Now we're talking about Black Widow, which, after Captain Marvel, is the second female superhero film in the Marvel Universe. The film stars Scarlett Johansson as Natasha Romanoff, the Avenger who's reunited with her Russian family for an action-packed and emotional adventure. Black Widow co-stars Florence Pugh, Rachel Weisz and David Harbour and is directed by Kate Shortland, who joins me now. Kate, it's lovely to meet you. Welcome to Girls on Film. Yeah, thanks, Anna. It's good to be here. Well, we're a feminist film podcast, so we're very excited about this moment. And not only have I been a fan of your work since Somersault, but obviously you're Marvel's first female solo director. 
Congratulations for making a superhero film about sisterhood. It feels very intimate and the relationship between the two women is fantastic. What themes were you keen to explore and bring out? The idea of um, being a survivor rather than a victim, definitely ideas around control and forgiveness, forgiving ourselves. And I think we hold so much shame often. And if we sometimes break that down, it really helps you love other people as well as yourself. And I think that's what we were looking at with the lead, our lead, you know, was that she finds it very hard to forgive herself. You don't know everything about me. I've lived a lot of lives before I was an Avenger, before I got this family. I mean, mistakes choosing between what the world wants you to be. And who you are. It's a really emotional journey and without spoilers, what kind of um, conversations did you have with Scarlett about that journey that you're referring to there? When we first spoke, like I was in this study talking to her on Zoom, she was in America. It was about our lives and stuff that had happened to us and roles that we'd played in our lives, stuff that we had done because of who we thought we should be and the expectations around that. So I think in this film we wanted to look at the roles we play and to strip that away, whether it's like a femme fatale or a superhero or a daughter or a mother. We were looking at all of these, all of these roles and breaking them down so that really what we're looking at is the person inside the role without gender, without any preconceived ideas. Yeah, that's an interesting thing when you say without gender, because obviously in many ways I would say this is a feminist film because it centres on women and the relationship between women. But I felt that you were quite conscious to be non-judgmental about people and their gender, for example, David Harbour as Alexi, the father character. Could you speak to me a little bit more about that? Yeah, I mean, he is a joy, he is a big, goofy joy that I loved working with and he's really, really smart. So he was kind of given Alexi as to play with as, and he, David added so much more to it by doing improvisation and stuff. But the, the role itself is like an unreconstructed, pretty misogynist, narcissistic, self-aggrandizing <laughs> like you can just you can reel off all these things and yet he manages to be completely to me lovable and relatable so what we wanted to do was in a way he's the butt of all our jokes because what David does or his character Alexi is say some really revolting things and it allows the women in the film to arc up and really have a go. And we really hear them do that with humour. And we brought Nicole Holof Center on right towards the end of the scripting process. And she really helped with some of those moments. Still fits. Family. Back together again. You got fat. I enjoyed that aspect of the kind of, you know, the, the, the dad humour and, and him sort of not really listening and talking at his daughters and them finding that incredibly frustrating, but then also the compassion and humour 
with which that was dealt. Talk to me a little bit about Florence Pugh because it, we're, we've been fans of hers since the falling and she was amazing in Carol Morley's film. And then, of course, Lady Macbeth. She feels very pivotal to this film. Why was she right for the role? Because she's so earthy and strong and intelligent and just has this great sense of anarchy about her. I think that's what makes her really cool. She'll try anything. We knew that against Scarlett Johansson, she could hold her own and that she would be formidable. And I think she's so goddamn likable. You just want to give her a big hug. You know, she's just this gorgeous girl, but she's, I don't know, everything you see on the screen is true. That's what makes her her, I think. It's not, it's kind of not manufactured. And I think that's rare. I tell people my sister moved out west. You're a science teacher. Your husband, he renovates houses. You're thinking about moving, but you're going to wait until the interest rates go down. That's not my story. <laughs> Is it important to you that characters like her and like Natasha that we're seeing in this film are seen by young girls and boys who are kind of watching Marvel films quite young and sort of developing their ideas about gender. I mean, that's her greatest gift is she'll she'll speak to the younger kids, teenagers, and they will be laughing with her, but through her sense of righteousness, like she has this sense of this thing was done to me and I'm not going to I'm not going to shut up. And I think that's what makes me cry. I think that's what we want young people um, when they watch the film to think, you know, when I'm called this, when I'm told I'm this, when I'm, you know, young queer people or people of colour, young women, okay, I'm not, go- I'm not going to shut up. I'm going to be a loud mouth. Um, and that's, I hope that she inspires people to speak up. It's exciting. I went to the the fan premiere event last night and to see that on the big screen, it's just like, yes, you know, this is what we're fighting for on Girls on Film. Um, And there's a moment which I'm sure you'll guess which really intrigued me is when she's talking about, basically about women's bodies being controlled by men, in particular the reproductive organs. Can you talk me through that scene a little bit? We worked with Eric Pearson, who's a great writer. Um, He wrote Thor Ragnarok. He came on at the end and he really pulled the script together. But there were some moments in it that felt really heavy-handed kind of sexist stuff to me. And one of them was he'd written a joke about women being in bad moods when we get our period. But instead of cutting out the joke, Nicole Holofcener, who was working with me right at the end, said, why don't we get the girls to answer it? And it was like unleashing the beast in Florence, which was so (laughs) great. And I just think great that young people or all women can watch it and there's no shame. It's like um, if you're going to talk about my fallopian fallopian tubes, I'm quite happy, buddy, to have that conversation. So, yeah, it it was really great doing that within this sphere that you know a lot of people are going to watch. I think that has the potential to have such a huge effect, doesn't it? And and I'm also curious because Scarlett has in the past suggested that the line of questioning in junkets can be a little bit gendered, let's say. Do you think exactly the moments that we're talking about just now are going to change that? I don't think we're we're doing anything that's changing anything, really. I think what we can do is... 
we can hope that it creates dialogue, but I, I think it's so incremental. I think all mm. of us, it's like it's incremental. I mean, Scarlett and I were on set often surrounded by 200 men. It's, I think often as women who create stuff, we do it in spite of. And I just hope with this film that more women will be allowed or to, to push the doors down to get in there to, to, to make it. I think that's what Marvel, why Marvel is great, is they do want diverse voices. Well, with Eternals coming up, you've got that, of course, and in with Chloe Zhao directing that. It's really exciting. Can you say a little bit more about In Spite Of? Can you explain that a little bit more? When I was younger, I used to think, I think I used to think, oh, I've had it really good. I, you know, I, I realised what had happened was I'd had women in Australia like Jan Chapman and Jane Campion and Gillian Armstrong and Tracy Moffat and all these other filmmakers who had come before me. And I think that trail in Australia is well worn by women and Indigenous filmmakers as well because of government funding. But I think in a lot of places, it's very hard to get into a position where you can actually use your voice. And I think that's changing, but I don't think it's changing quick enough. I think the last few years has been fantastic because people have had to change. And that's interesting. That's what I mean in spite of it. I think that often men see us as so threatening that they're holding so tight to what they have. And really, we just want to join. We don't want to rip down, you know, the whole structure. Yeah, it's not the enemy. It's not them and us. It's about working together, isn't it? And I think Blackwood is a great example of that. Lastly, I know that um, obviously this is a backstory about family and, you know, obviously Natasha's family have to be white. But I've noticed that you filled a lot of the other roles, you know, racial diversity. Was that something that you and the team were very keen on? Yes. And it was something we lamented about the family mm. and even questioned about the family. And I think what's I learned about working with Marvel is it's not cynical with Marvel. It's not, it's diversity is not a thing that they do because they want to make more money. It's actually the people you're working with actually believe in it on a really fundamental level. And that was pretty special. Also, I have two black children. My kids are African. So it was very important to me to see them reflected on the screen and I think that's one of, the, again, that's one of the great things that's happening in the last few years. And yeah, we just want to see more of it. I couldn't agree more. How old are they? Have they seen the film yet? My son's 26 and my daughter's 13. Oh, wow. Okay. So <laughs> they're well old enough to see the film. She was on set a lot. Yeah. Wow. Oh, fantastic. Listen, what's next for you? Very quickly. My husband's about to direct a television series in the desert. So I'm going to hang out at home, which I'm really happy about and walk the dogs and hang out with my daughter and just I'm really happy not to have a full dance card. Great, we'll enjoy that. And thank you so much, Kate, for joining Girls on Film. It's been a real pleasure. Here's what's going to happen. Natasha, don't slouch. I'm not slouching. You're going to get a big hunch. Listen to your mother. Oh, my God. This. Up, up. All right, enough, all of you. You didn't say anything. That's not fair. That was Kate Shortland. Black Widow is in cinemas from July the 7th and you can order it on Disney Plus with premiere access from July the 9th. Now, we love hearing from you on social media, so we thought we'd start sharing some of the great tweets and instas that we've had recently. 
On Twitter, Colin Uddle says, just wanted to say, I think the Reichardt pot is the best so far. That's the one we did on Kelly Reichardt. Loved the discussions of the themes in First Cow and other films. We'll use this in our men's group film club discussions as soon as we can gather again. Thank you, Colin. That is so great to hear from a male listener who really enjoyed that conversation about sensitivity and manhood. And I'm intrigued to know more about your men's group film club, so do let us know more about that. Now, we've had some top feedback on our films of the day. When we chose Out of Blue, we heard from director Carol Morley herself. Carol shared some special behind-the-scenes pictures of Jackie Weaver and James Kahn and of herself. So you can go and see those on our Twitter and Carol's as well. Thank you, Carol. Carol, of course, discovered Black Widow star Florence Pugh when she cast her in The Falling. You can hear her talk about that in episode 32 of Girls on Film. When we chose Animals for our film of the day, Angel Jones got in touch saying, I love this film so much. I ended up watching it three times in a row and I've never done that before. Thank you, Angel. You're my team! They're going to build a statue of us immortalised in marble. This is the bit where I puke. The Golden Years. And for Ratcatcher, we had a very succinct response from Duncan Peveling. Hello, Duncan. He says, this film changed me. Now, we'd also like to give a shout out to our patrons because we could not do this without their support. So a big thank you this week to Sophie Files, to Philip Desemlian, to Claire Vaughan and to Jessica Phillips. Thank you all so much for supporting Girls on Film and giving what you can afford to every month to help us carry on. Uh, you can go to patreon.com forward slash girls on film podcast if you would like to join the gang and you'll get special extra treats. There's videos there that you can see in all sorts and you'll get a shout out on the pod. Now I also have some very exciting news. We are finally coming to Latitude Festival on Thursday the 22nd of July on their podcast stage where we'll be with amazing guests and I hope an utterly amazing audience, including some of you. If you can't make Latitude, then stay tuned because we'll be sharing the audio with you soon. Girls on Film is an HLA production brought to you by executive producer Heather Archbold, audio producer Emma Butt, assistant producers Heather Dempsey and Eliana Jay, and our partners for this episode, Remy Martin. I've been Anna Smith and I was speaking to Wendy Mitchell and to Kate Shortland. Thank you, lovely listener. Stay safe. Okay, you got a plan or shall I just stay dug and cover? My plan was to drive us away. Well, your plan sucks.